0: This is Sounds of Berkeley. I'm Leslie O'Connell. There was a time when vocal repertoire and technique were categorized into distinctly separate camps. That line is blurring, versatility is key. Training across styles from classical to pop to hip hop gives vocalists entering the field an edge as they vie for roles in an increasingly saturated industry. This integrated approach is trending now in vocal pedagogy, the study of the art and science of voice instruction, and one embraced by Christy Turnbow and Michael Hanley, assistant professors of voice at Boston Conservatory at Berkeley. Thanks for joining us today, Christy and Michael. Thanks for having, Thanks us. For having us. So we're here today, appropriately, to talk about vocal pedagogy. And for the uninitiated, could we start out by talking about what exactly is vocal pedagogy?
1: Sure. Vocal pedagogy refers to private studio teaching for voice. So you could have piano pedagogy or violin pedagogy. But obviously we're here for voice pedagogy. Um it comes from a Greek word.
2: In a lot of ways it refers to the teaching of teachers. And so um, uh, studying pedagogy is really studying how to teach a little bit separate from how to teach something, you know, um, in the classroom or something like that. Uh, you know, that you might get an education degree uh uh pedagogy in the musical sense is a little bit uh, more focused into the very, very specific instruction, in this case, voice and of any style.
0: How do you approach the
1: subject?
2: I guess I feel like this might be an oversimplification, but I feel like all singing is singing. And so uh, my approach is generally that I start all my singers, regardless of the genre that they wish to pursue in the same way. And they all really begin with basic fundamentals and uh, begin with, you know, training the functionality of the instrument. So making sure that, you know, vocal health is something that the singers are aware of and uh, maintaining from a from a young age. And, um, you know, just beginning with the real basics of making sure that the voice functions freely and easily and that that is something that, they're able to take into their art form. And it doesn't matter what the art form is. If it's music theater, if it's pop singing, um, if it's R&B, if it's opera, if it's um, you know non-opera classical music, it really all begins at the same place.
1: I agree. I think you... You know, I get freshmen who come in and say, oh, I specialize in blankety-blank. And it's like, oh, you don't get to specialize quite yet. We're going to go back to the basics and the fundamentals. And if you want to be a rap a rap artist, great. I'm going to make you learn these other basic functions of the voice that's going to help make you a better rap perf- performer. Does it take some
0: time to kind of change the the perspective of a student who might have a certain idea in his or her mind.
1: Absolutely. I also, part of the reason why I chuckle when freshmen come in and say I'm specializing in X is because it's like, well, have you tried this? And have you tried that? Have you ever sung Rodgers and Hammerstein? And most of them, no, they haven't. Um, And so, so it's like, yeah, I want to expose you to and give you experience in all kinds of things. And maybe you'll find that your focus wants to change. And maybe it doesn't. And that's fine, too. I'm not I'm not here to recreate what you what you think you want to specialize in just to make sure that you have all the information and all the experience. Um, I I also feel like, you know, if your life goal is to become Elphaba on Broadway, I would call that a trick pony rather than an artist. And I really would like to help you broaden your horizon to become an artist who is going to do more than just a role that's been on Broadway for almost 20 years now. Um, Let's do something new, you know, be, be like broaden your creativity and create something new instead of just redoing what's already been done.
0: So in terms of cross training, we wanted to talk about that trend in training folks for a variety of styles. I guess,
2: um, What's interesting is when we think about cross training and people people talk about cross training, I think that that more specifically refers to uh singers singers of one genre learning the techniques that are associated with another genre. And I think you know that was specifically applied, you know uh, within specific musical theater training to bring the classical side of technique into that into that type of training and then a little bit uh, the opposite way too for students learning classical music to have them start to um, experiment with the musical theater repertoire and with the expectations of musical theater singing. I think now what's really interesting and Chrissy and I have talked about this is that we don't necessarily think of it as cross-training and we just really sort of think of it as one integrated approach and I really love that that is kind of the overall trend of voice pedagogy now and we have so many wonderful teachers to thank for this progress in in the field because uh i think that so the styles were really really kept separate for a long time in the history of teaching voice i mean we've been teaching voice for hundreds of years and um even in the 20th century there were really strict camps of different people based on, uh, you know, based on what style of music they were singing. And so just from an overall philosophy standpoint, that is changing, and that I think is great for everyone.
0: And how does that prepare someone for a career as a vocalist, if, if you're using this more holistic approach, versus concentrating on one style or another?
1: It makes them more marketable. It makes them able to, you know, book more jobs. Um, You can do Spring Awakening one run and come back and audition and do Oklahoma and you're fit and ready to go for all those different um, jobs. If you are only specialized in one or the other, then you have half the work opportunities. And so, you know, if you really want to support yourself as a performer, I feel like you want to be able to cover as many options as are available or you're more castable in a summer stock situation where they might have spring awakening and Oklahoma on the same season and they can hire you to do both you're you know they, they can bring you in for the whole summer you're more useful to them that way than to what they call job in which is where they just bring you in one show at a time
2: I also think that as um, young college age or high school age singers as their voices are developing it's our responsibility to make sure that they're that they have the most diverse experience that they can have, and not just within repertoire, but within technique. Mm-hmm. And so, to make sure that they're not they're not setting themselves up to only perform in one way. And you could compare that to a um, you could compare it to an athlete, a high school athlete, who might be really talented and really naturally athletic they're not just going to only play one sport most of those athletes that we know played four sports and had a hobby of two other sports
0: oh that's so true
2: and, yeah. yeah and so then they found out you know are you 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 know you you know michael jordan was a great golfer and um, a way better golfer than 99% of other americans but that's not what we know him for but he was still out there on the golf course he was still playing baseball and so um You know, he. Nobody ever said to him, "Wow, you're." You know, you really shouldn't be at the batting cages because if you are, that's going to mess up how you're playing basketball right now.
0: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting way to look at it. Are there any um, any particular vocalists out there today who are great examples of implementing this embracing of different styles, and, and they're really equipped to cross over.
1: Yeah, that is an interesting question because a lot of times, even though a singer may be um, capable, skillful enough to do a variety of things, that's not always what they get cast to do or what they get hired to do um comes to my mind like stephanie j block always gets hired and cast in belty roles but if you go to youtube you can find a video of her singing think of me from phantom of the opera she's got a great top she sounds fabulous but that's not what she's known for kind of like michael jordan in basketball right she's Mm -hmm. not known for having that but part of what makes her a great singer is that she can do that does that make sense? Yeah. or yeah, like that Na- makes a lot of same sense. With, same with Natalie Weiss. Like, Natalie Weiss is really well-known as a pop singer, kind of pop musical theater singer. And yet she also can do great um, uh, soprano sounds as well.
2: I think it's interesting. Um, there's always been a history of opera singers sort of moving over into the musical theater world. Um, but... Recently, there's been more of a crossover of that happening, mm-hmm. and happening on a uh, on a professional level where the two art forms are coming together. So, uh, for example, the Lyric Opera of Chicago did a Carousel with uh, Stephen Pasquale and um, Laura Osnes, I believe, but also with a cast of opera singers in the the cast and in the the. the opera house in Chicago. And then uh, the carousel that is going to open on on Broadway this season is going to have Renee Fleming, you know, a very famous American soprano uh, singing the role of Nettie.
0: And what about, um, you know, a la Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, the style of Hamilton, more of a hip hop um, style. How does that come into play?
1: That is an interesting question because before I listened to the Hamilton um, album. I kept hearing it was this hip hop like rap musical, and I listened to it and was like, "Oh, it has that in it, but it is so much more." There's actually quite a lot of baroque counterpoint that we get from like you know ancient, <laughs> ancient music, you know, a long time ago, um, and a lot of different voice styles. It is not all rap. It is not all hip hop. It is quite. I mean, the, he hits every musical style for centuries. And makes references to like Gilbert and Sullivan, who are operetta writers, and um, from turn of turn of century, late eighteen hundreds. So, so it's interesting that it got like marketed that way, but it's not actually what it really is. It is a conglomeration of a whole lot of history in the music and the voice world. So it's actually a good example of crossing over within one. Absolutely.
2: Oh, definitely, and it's it's definitely an example of of something for our students to strive for to say a show like that doesn't have a type the show like and that I think that is a defining characteristic of a show like that that it it doesn't have a type and that if you want to be in the ensemble of that show or swing in for that show you'd better be able to hit all of those areas that Christy just talked about
0: I wanted to talk about different styles and what's cutting edge would you say that sort of thing where there's a show where that's actually An example of many different styles within itself
2: yeah and i i think that the overall trend of productions uh in new york is heading towards and has been heading towards uh definitely some revivals of older shows you know those those tend to be those tend to be things that draw in crowds um there's a lot there are more revivals happening this season there were a lot of revivals that happened last season and the last fifteen years or so have really been marked by the rise of these jukebox musicals, and so um, shows like um, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, and Jersey Boys, and um, all, all of those shows all shook up. I mean, uh, Mama Mia was you know was one was one of the one really popular yes. first ones, and so um, our students are aware of that. And so from the pop side of everything, I think they they realize the demand that at least the music, a theater industry has. And so um, that, really, that really pushes the expectations on everybody.
0: Can we shift and talk about the science of vocal pedagogy? We're talking about um, the results, essentially, and what you're training them for. But as educators, how do you get there? How do you make sure that you develop, you help to develop a, a student with a full range
2: Well, I think one thing that Christy and I talked about was that voice teachers, uh, the overall job of a voice teacher is not just not necessarily just teaching singing, because there are so many things that go into singing before we get to the art of the singing. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, teachers are um, teachers are working on alignment and uh, body work, and they're also working on breath. And they're also, you know, they're also working, um, you know, they're working on speech habits. That's something that's really, really important. And so all of these things come into play beforehand for any style of singing. And so um, th- I think that's, that's one of the things that we talked about that, that's interesting um, about teachers is that, is that we, we sort of talk about a lot of nitty gritty things and, and the scientific things that happen within the vocal mechanism. But we, that's about, what would you say, 20%? of you know, the sort of registration and working on that balance and stuff what, what we do.
1: So most kids come, if they want to do musical theater or any kind of contemporary singing, they want to learn how to mix and belt. And so I, instead of talking to them about like what muscles are being used in the different, different sound genre, then I, I talk to them, I tell them we're going to make some chocolate. If you think about your voice like chocolate, your chest voice is the cocoa and your head voice is the milk and sugar and um, nobody wants straight cocoa. Nobody drinks black hot chocolate or unsweetened chocolate, so um, so we hardly ever use just that straight-up chest voice, which is a misconception that a lot of people have, that belting is just taking your chest voice up as high as you can take it. Um, but we're going to make some chocolate with it. So we have to work on the head voice, which is the milk and sugar, because you don't want curdled milk in your chocolate. It's not going right. to taste very good, right? So you got to make sure that you have nice quality milk and sugar. Um, and that way, once you, once you know how to put those together, then you can have whatever chocolate recipe you, you're in the mood for, whatever chocolate recipe you, you want in the moment, in your acting moment. You can have dark chocolate, you can have milk chocolate, you can have chocolate milk, you could have white chocolate, and if you can, if you know where all of those are in your voice, then you really can pretty much walk out and sing whatever it is that somebody asks you to do. So you can do Spring Awakening, you could do Hamilton, you can do Oklahoma, you could do Gilbert and Sullivan, you could do all of all of the varieties, and you should be pretty well employed.
2: And really, what what Christy's talking about applies across the board because we even within pop singers and uh classical singers they're still making their own versions of chocolate
1: mm-hmm. it just so mm-hmm.
2: happens that they're um in in a field like classical singing there might be some uh greater expectations put on that recipe by the music that is written but for our musical theater students we want them to go all the way from the classical opera side, the Renee Fleming or the Pavarotti side, chocolate recipe, and then all the way to the pop singer, you know, to to the lightest, Sarah Bareilles, John Mayer, that that sound, which is a completely different recipe.
0: So it's really a full full range oh, that yeah, you're it's giving
2: a them whole store of chocolate.
0: And I imagine that this sort of training also equips them beyond. Their, their career aspirations as vocalists, for example, I mean just just training the full voice it makes me think of training the full
2: student, yeah, I think that um uh, yeah, I mean i think I think we see it often that with those our students who have graduated that often they are surprised by what work they what work they book, and if you had asked them. What do you think your first job is going to be when you leave uh, boss Conservatory or uh, or another school? And they might say, "Oh, I'm going to be on the national tour of blah or something," which which would be great, right? But then you know they end up they end up uh, booking something something different that really explores a different skill set. You know, they might they might book a straight play and a, a mm-hmm. run of a play, and that's amazing because because they're actors, you know, or they might be in an opera chorus, and we would love mm. that too, you or, know.
1: Or find that they do a lot of voiceover work or mm. film and commercial work or things like that, that they, you know, they trained in musical theater. We certainly have seen that a lot enough with singers, m- even mus- uh, actors who have music theater degrees who are actually more, more successful in film. Right, so something that so. they
0: never imagined when they walked in that door. Right, right. You had mentioned, Michael, about vocal health. Mm-hmm. I want to explore that a little more and help me understand why vocal health is such, why it needs to be such a priority.
2: Well, um, I mean, it, there's a couple of different reasons, but uh, the main thing is if you are a professional voice user, and so that that stretches across many, many fields from teachers and classroom teachers to um, lecturers and uh, politicians and then singers and actors and um um, screen actors and all these things who use their voices for a living, uh, it's its hard to monitor a muscle group that lives inside your body and where there are very few nerve endings that are telling you what's going on. And so um, that is part of the role of the teacher to interact with the student and to to show them the signs of possible some vocal health red flags and to teach them from an early age how to maintain their instrument the same way an athlete would would work with an athletic trainer from an early age
0: can you talk about some of the vocal programs at boston conservatory at berkeley and in particular um, vocal pedagogy professional workshop you know something that might be accessible for a general audience
2: yeah we have um we have vocal programs that span a lot of, of different, uh, different degree programs and also um, over a couple different divisions. So um, within the music side of things, there's an, um, you know, we have an undergraduate voice degree, also a couple graduate voice degrees, and also graduate voice pedagogy degree, an, a Master of Music in voice pedagogy. Uh, and then on musical theater, we have a, a BFA and an MFA in, in musical theater. And um, all of those majors are um, instructed by the voice faculty. And a great thing about our voice faculty is that so many of them teach both styles and teach teach a very integrated technique as what we were discussing before, something that makes Boss Conservatory a, a wonderful place and a, a unique place. Uh, the Vocal Pedagogy Professional Workshop is a summer um a four uh, to five day in um, pedagogy intensive, all day. Um, there are lectures, there are um, interactive workshops, and um, similar to what we talked about, it starts in a in a, a place that's a little bit more uh, general, and it uh, begins with vocal health lectures, and we talk about. Uh, pedago- the basics and the fundamentals of vocal pedagogy, which then leads into more specific areas and um, really detailed things about classical vocal pedagogy and musical theater vocal pedagogy in their own sort of separate areas.
0: And for folks who want to dig in more on their own, um, do you have any recommendations for some books that are out there today that might help someone, um, you know, either just, just Interested in the field or 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 practicing to get sure. a better grip on this? Yeah,
1: Wendy Leborn is a speech language pathologist. Um, she's associated with uh, Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. She wrote a book called The Vocal Athlete. Hers is talking about you know the triple threat for a musical theater where they have to be singers, actors, and dancers, and how that how that you know all works with the voice. And then there's a new book coming out. I don't believe it's been published yet, but it will be published this year, called Cross Training in the Voice Studio: A Balancing Act by Norman Spivey and Mary Saunders Barton.
2: Those are those are probably a great place to start. I think that. Um, uh, Pedagogy is one of those fields that can get a little bit um, can can get a little bit complicated, and so it's good to start with something, um, something that has a good broad overview and really looks at the field from the top down.
0: Are there any online resources that might be helpful in this regard? I I know that there isn't always a common vocabulary.
2: I think that uh, you can go to the um, National Center for Voice and Speech. I believe it is ncvs.org. There are a lot of really great resources on that website, uh, which include a list of medications, for example, that uh, how those affect your voice, which is really great for teachers who don't happen to be pharmacists. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and also just uh, some overview of basic scientific principles. And um, so um that would be another good place to start
1: i was just going to tag on to what michael was just saying that like because any any good vocal pedagogy or good voice teaching is always going to start with the fundamentals so they're going to start with posture they're going or alignment they're going to start with breath How's your breath working? What kind of resonance are you experiencing? So as you're sorting through resources, if they're not talking about those things first, then to me that would be a flag that you should maybe look somewhere else Um, because it really, you know, you got to start with foundation first. Well, thank you so much, Christy and Michael.
2: You're welcome. Thank you,
0: yes. Thanks for your time. This episode of Sounds at Berkeley was engineered by Tony Brown and Jimmy Lim. I'm Leslie O'Connell for Sounds of Berkeley.